Hey, Sandy and Nor fans, Nor here. We had such a good time with our spaces on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that we've decided the Emergencies Act is a big enough deal to try it again. This time, it will be Friday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 o'clock Pacific on Twitter. To find the link, it should be in the show notes or check Sandy and I out on Twitter. And we hope to hear you there. Sandy, did you hear? Did you hear that they um, they are they've <laughs> they're using the Emergencies Act because um, Iqaluit is still without water? Oh my God! It's so good that they finally get action from the federal government like that. Just kidding. Did you hear? Did you hear that there's an emergency act? Uh, they use the Emergencies Act because many communities across Canada are without water. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, did you did you hear that they they're using the Emergencies Act um, because uh, femicide is like at skyrocketing levels, especially during the pandemic? Have you seen that? No, wait, did you did you did you see that they use the Emergencies Act because there is a pandemic and like thirty thousand Canadians died and many more will have long term impacts, both economic and health wise? Like, did you did you see? It'll be thirty six thousand by the time listeners uh, hear this episode, Sandy. So, so, so glad that we can have some accuracy with that because it seems like everybody else has stopped counting except you, Nora. So thank you. Yeah, you know, it's really hard to cover um, COVID and cover the suspension of civil liberties at the same time. Like just actually, I mean, it actually might be impossible to do both from what I've seen. I mean, other than like some of us, but... (laughs) Well, Nora, I just want to say, you know, before we get into it, like I listened to you on Canada Land this week and I think I understand what's going on based on something that you said on Canada Land. Um, this this Emergencies Act, which, dear listener, if you can't tell, Nora and I vehemently oppose. And I know that some of you might find that confusing, judging by how people are responding to us on Twitter and we will explain. But I get it. It is extremist centrism. Ah, yeah. Like you said extremist centrism and I'm like, that's what it is. It's like people who are so extreme about wanting the status motherfucking quo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they're willing to like fucking take away. I just, ah, man, Nora. Okay. Can we just get into the episode? Because I, I need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I desperately need to talk about this. Yeah. The timing of the announcement was very bad in Sandy Norland because. Because I believe they announced that they were going to do this the day that our last episode came out. Um, and so we've got, what, six days of, like, seething to uh, <laughs> unload on you all. <laughs> so buckle up. So, But before we do that, I suppose we should start off with some gratitude. Something good. Yes. Well, and there's always something to be thankful for. Let us always remember that. Uh, And so thanks to everybody who's engaged with the episode from the last week and the last couple of weeks. I mean, there's been a lot of engagement, which has been really cool. 
thanks to everybody who's shared the podcast, uh, helped to radicalize their friends. Uh, thanks to everybody that's been in touch to say that they're looking at things differently. Thanks to the podcast. That's like the goal, actually, of Sandy and Nora. So that's really, really cool. And to the folks who made financial donations to the podcast in the last week, thanks especially to Carmela, Daniel, Kelly, Kathy, Kumi, and Ashley, thank you so, so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Nora. Nora. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nora. Mm-hmm. I just had some tea and you just caught me off guard. Yeah. Yeah. Nora. Okay, so <laughs> first of all, I just, before we actually get into it, I do want to apologize to listeners who are listening and might hear a slight hum on my soundtrack. I'm traveling right now. I am in Toronto unexpectedly and just for a very short time. And uh, do you know what it has been like in Toronto? Can I tell you? I, I, <laughs> I suppose that this is happening because of the Emergencies Act, but the, the city of Toronto police have shut down the downtown core preemptively to prevent, I suppose, a trucker pro- protest, but there is no trucker protest. So what has happened is that the police have effectively created the effect of a trucker protest in that no one can get anywhere downtown and it is absolutely unbelievable like the places that I was I needed to go to work this weekend I needed to convince a cop every time that I do work where I needed to to go work and show proof that I work there and it was uh, I just <sighs> Nora, <laughs> just Nora, Nora. <laughs> I'm like uh, that should help fascism, shouldn't that? Shouldn't that be what fights fascism? Is making you deal with cops more? <laughs> Look, I am speechless with how awful this is, and I don't know that people understand how awful this is because I I really do feel like everyone should be sounding the alarm and just this should be the end of Justin Trudeau's career. It should be the end of yeah. Jagmeet Singh's career for supporting it. I don't understand why people don't understand that. Like we had a pandemic in which the government refused to uh, to implement this Emergencies Act to increase powers to gov- to governments across Canada to make sure that people had what they needed, whether that was a moratorium on mortgages, whether that was um, a, a stoppage to people paying rent, making sure that people had basic access to food and other needs, making sure that people had access to just money. Um, we didn't do any of those things. We didn't do any of that mm. uh, for uh, for a pandemic in which tens of thousands of people died, but for a protest, <laughs> a protest. And I know there's been this kind of like this stuff around the rhetoric of protests. Like I just for the purposes of this argument, let's just talk about this as what you know it's being discussed as. It's a protest. It is people um, going and saying to government, "We don't like what you're doing." That is a protest. And uh, it's like less than, it's not that many people doing this protest. And they've implemented an emergency act so that the police can do what they already had the power to do. And then some, they're freezing bank accounts. Like I, I, 
the the nervousness that I feel around uh, what's happening uh, in Wet'suwet'en, uh, what uh, other protesters across the country are regularly talking about um, with respect to the way that Canada harms so many people. I We've just opened up a new way of the government. I just... This is so bad. This is so bad. This is, this is fascism. <laughs> this is fascism. And I guess we're okay with fighting fascism with fascism. I don't know. I just, I'm just, uh, thank you, Endrant. Uh, go ahead, Nora. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's back up. Over the last three weeks, um, the downtown core of Ottawa has been the site of this protracted war between um, the citizens that live there, the people that live there, the convoy people, and the cops. And the cops, we should say, in the city, right? Cops and city go hand in hand in this story. And the people of Ottawa, the residents, were completely abandoned, completely abandoned, left to their own devices. And a lot of people were abandoned by the cops the first time in their lives, right? Where they actually are like, whoa, we, we can't call the cops, which is, you know, the experience of many people in this country all the time. But, you know, I guess sometimes you have to find that out the hard way. And so you've got a federal government with a prime minister that did literally nothing for the first week, barely anything for the second week, and was using the convoy and the ridiculousness of the convoy to help boost his brand while his primary political opponent was, you know, turning into dust. And of course, you know, Aaron O'Toole doesn't exist anymore. So that worked. And then after three weeks where people were like, okay, something needs to fucking happen. Rather than the federal government taking control, rather than some sort of integrated policing unit, which would have been completely possible without the Emergencies Act, which is also something I can't believe people are like, oh, no, it's not. And it's like, I have been like in like been policed by integrated policing units. Like it's 100 percent possible, folks. The Ottawa police could have had any number of police forces helping them out without the Emergencies Act. But the rhetorical purpose of the Emergencies Act was to demonstrate that the Liberals were hands off, were, 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 were acting very calmly and, and, and hoping that the city of Ottawa would figure out its shit. It didn't figure out its shit. And so they had to pull the fire alarm uh, option, which was, of course, the Emergencies Act. And now we see the strength of Justin Trudeau. So another aspect of this like attempt to demonstrate how much power and how much political skill um, he has. And it's like he's turning on popularity here, like as, as, as well as he can, as if he's turning on and off a faucet. Um, it's an extremely dangerous game. And the danger is like, yes, what you described in Toronto, that seems like an incredible overreaction. And it, like, let's be clear, folks, like just because there's no convoy in Toronto for whatever reason doesn't mean that this fucking issue goes away. It doesn't mean that this issue is solved. In fact, it actually makes it, it, it probably worse because they can't demonstrate in the ways that, you know, we expect people to be able to demonstrate, which is to, you know, be out in the street. Um, and then so it's like you go back to Ottawa and say that this was the only thing that could have that could have worked. And of course, it's not like they, they easily could have done this at any point in the last three weeks. And they didn't. And by invoking the Emergencies Act, they've picked the nuclear option to just demonstrate their show of force. You know, 191 people have been arrested as of Sunday night. And uh, something like 75,000 bank accounts, I think, have been frozen. And, um, you know, Ottawa is back to almost back to being normal. Obviously, there's still a lot, like a couple of situations we're trying to deal with. They're trying to deal with protesters. But none of it required the Emergencies Act. And so how in the fuck does this act get invoked for the first time since it was created in 1988 to, to clear one occupation in one city? 
I mean, even Quebec City, we had thousands and thousands and thousands of people demonstrating this past weekend for for another convoy. And the city gave extra policing powers to the police, like allowing them to crack down on, on public drinking, which is normally allowed here, and public barbecuing and this kind of thing. Um, again, nothing that the Emergencies Act required. And so it's like, really? Really? Like, this, we're, we're, we're just witnessing, as you, as you referenced, the extreme center reaction to, to, to rising fascism that will not make anything better, but is actually akin to fucking pouring gasoline on everything, not just the far right, but actually also on fucking anyone else that wants to protest as well, and especially the ones that the state finds dangerous. I, it is so bad, as you say. And what is so, what, what's so ridiculous is that this thing was invoked after three border crossings had been cleared and so it was literally only invoked for the city of ottawa like what the fuck yeah it's it is it's so bad and as you say it pours gasoline on it because i want people to understand what the issue is here and we've talked about this on this podcast before in fact in the lead up to the last election one of the things that Nora and i had mentioned several times is that it is appalling that uh, governments do not have a strategy to deal with white supremacist organizing. They're just like ignoring this white supremacist organizing that has been on the rise and more successful during the pandemic. And th I mean, this is the result of not doing that is having these white supremacist organizers capitalize on um, this situation, just like we've talked about in the last two weeks. So I'm not going to rehash it too much. But if you are an average person who has lost your job or lost your small business or has had some terrible impacts from the pandemic and you are recognizing that the rules placed side by side, by side don't make any sense. So you're like, um, how come uh, people can go do this fun thing but I can't you know, make sure that my business survives? Like you see that the rules don't make any sense and you are frustrated about um, the restrictions that have been placed on your life um, where they are not being placed on other people. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go support support this convoy because they're they're talking about my freedoms. That's that's the message. And it's, it's a simple enough message that anyone can glob onto it, whether or not they agree with the white supremacist organizers or not. You know, it's the, the message is that you deserve freedom. Cool. People... Um, uh, are supporting that and go and join this protest and then they have their bank account frozen what do you think that's going to do that is going to further radicalize those people who uh, have been who the these white supremacist organizers have have organized into this space to try to get them to become a part of their cause this is extremely dangerous it's like we we absolutely need a government, but not just a government, a community, a uh, a movement that is going to respond to these issues of white supremacist organizing and fascist organizing and respond to it in the way that it needs to be responded to. And responding to fascism with fascism, I promise you, is not going to work. <laughs> I mean... I mean, no kidding. Um, I was doing an interview this past week with Lithuanian Public Broadcasting, and the journalist asked me how much support these protests have. And, 
you know, I said, well, they're pretty marginal, right? More than 80% of Canadians have been vaccinated. So like people voting with their feet demonstrates that these are pretty marginal movements. However, you know, there is widespread frustration, you know, in Canada, we can't even get PCR tests. And and, and she kind of stopped me and like got out of the interview and was like, what do you mean you can't get PCR tests? And I was like, yeah, we can't get PCR tests unless we are a healthcare worker or we live in some sort of situation that has been deemed high risk. By and large, you cannot get PCR tests. And even after PCR tests, you can barely get rapid antigen testing. And she was like, are you kidding? Like, why? How, how do you how do you expect to manage a pandemic if you don't have any uh, testing? <laughs> you know? And so... You know, we've been talking a lot in the last uh, several weeks about the need for people who support public health measures to also appreciate why people would be frustrated by them. And that this 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 mass um, expression of catharsis with this racist leadership is a location for people to park their anger and their frustration. And I was saying this to a friend today, like, it's a real fucking shame that we never figured out a way to have a big party to celebrate everybody's solidarity and to celebrate how fucking tough this has all been. And now things are, you know, we're two years into it. We're getting a little bit better at managing it in terms of like our day to day lives. And the state has completely fucking abandoned us. But still, we can still we can party. Still, we can gather because that's what that's what it was in Quebec City. It was like the biggest crowd I've ever seen here having a party. And it was families. It was like all walks of life. Uh, You know, I mean, lots of different flags from different countries, (laughs) including, of course, the United States, but others do. And you could feel the, the need that people have to actually fucking just, I don't know, explode to just get into the street and have a fucking good time recognizing that everything sucks right now. And instead, like, again, we've we've allowed following public health orders, following the government's orders, like even if we disagree with our government, you know, suck it up and and do what we can to follow whatever good advice that we're following. That's been coded to be the left wing response. And there has been no space for a critical response to government. And we have to rapidly figure out how to fucking unfuck that like we there there's no reason why in the streets right now everyone saying fuck trudeau is from the right like i want to see that fucking number of people saying fuck trudeau from the left nora did you did you see the actual um announcement when justin trudeau was talking about why they implemented the emergencies act and what it would do i skipped out on that one i sk- i didn't need to hear more trudeau <laughs> <laughs> well, you were probably, I mean, that was probably good for your blood pressure, not good for mine. Because he said that the reason why they were doing this was because, one, this was not a peaceful protest, the convoy, um, the truckers. It's not a peaceful protest. Uh, two, they need to keep people safe. Three, they need to protect people's jobs. And four, they need to reinvigorate or re-inspire confidence in government. <laughs> So one, it's not a peaceful protest. It's not? I mean, it depends on how you find peaceful. I mean, for the folks living in downtown Ottawa, it has been fucking a complete nightmare. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting line of, of, of argumentation because it was the same time that, you know, this cache of guns was found at the border in, um, in Alberta, right? And I think that... Yeah, but like, the Emergencies Act was not implemented for the cache of guns in Alberta. No, exactly. And so I think what they've been trying to rely on is the threat 
of violence and then like just the shittiness of living among these folks taking over your city for fucking three weeks. Uh-huh. And so then what does that do the next time that there's a left-wing protest? I would like to know what they mean by this is not a peaceful protest. I would like them to spell it out so that we are clear as to what the trigger point is. What is the trigger point for something not being a peaceful protest um, that allows them to then do what they are doing in terms of the police, in terms of shutting down people's bank accounts? Because, of course, again, it is going to be folks on the left who are going to be experiencing this next. Next, jobs, protecting jobs. Mm. They are implementing the Emergencies Act to protect jobs. There were so many jobs that are, that have been, that are being and um, livelihoods that will be lost as a result of the um, economic impact of the pandemic and the failure of government to do anything about it. And yes, they could have used the Emergencies Act to protect people's jobs. I don't really understand how he can say that without a shred of irony, that that's what they are doing right now in implementing the Emergencies Act. How? Well, I mean, people can go back to their... um minimum wage jobs in Ottawa, which have been closed for three weeks with no compensation. And that that's what that is, the protection of jobs. Yeah. Like this is where things are so fucked up. Like w- like we have a guy saying that 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 this is not a peaceful protest, that there's violence. A guy who literally oversaw like mass death. <laughs> right. So like this, I, I think that this is also where we have to look at the, the social media age that collapses everything into these binaries. It's like he's speaking in binaries right now and he's speaking um, he's speaking to a population that is traumatized that is going through this. But he's also speaking to all Canadians who uh, aren't going through this at all and whose day to day life has not been impacted by this, trying to explain to them that there is a looming threat that allows the government to take this incredible action as if we should just completely forget about all of the things that have been done in the government's uh, oversight in the last two years. The other thing that's been talked about quite a bit is this foreign influence, stopping this foreign influence. Nora, I was unaware that Canada was a country um, that was so protectionist that we we just like don't have any foreign influence at all. Oh, my God. If we didn't have foreign influence, we wouldn't have a Canada. Like, let's be fucking serious. (laughs) The entire country is designed to have foreign influence. Like, people, like, I I don't understand this sort of weird, like, attachment to a semi-xenophobic idea that this money is coming from outside, elsewhere, and that this movement is thus coming from outside and elsewhere. I'm sorry, but the movement is, there's... The movement is homegrown. I'm sorry, like it mm-hmm. is. It yes, there is some there is some money that is coming from outside Canada just like for like literally anything from the fucking clothes that you wear <laughs> to the fucking um uh materials that are produced in Canada and exported elsewhere like I, the idea that um Canada exists unto an island unto itself. Uh, is preposterous and the fucking prime minister saying that or sorry well the prime minister saying that in addition to the NDP um, uh, lobbying onto this as their primary message is absolutely absurd yeah it's like circling the point going around and around and ignoring the most dangerous thing that we need to focus on which is the fact that this issue, everything that's happening right now, represents one of the most successful 
forms of white supremacist organizing, perhaps um, you know, only rivaled by the existence of Canada itself <laughs> uh, <laughs> in this country. Honestly, it's it's so stunning that you know, like we're the our the, the people who are in charge are doing everything that they can to kind of avoid talking about the impact of that and what needs to happen from that. In addition to that, we on the left really need to take a hard look at ourselves and about what we are doing in response and what we are not doing in response and what we're refusing to do in response. Yeah, wow. That's a good place for you to throw it over to me. Yes. Yeah. I Well, you know, I've had some pretty uh, interesting exchanges, I would say, in the last couple of days. Um, and I think that um, like this is a moment where people are coming out of nowhere and wanting to take action. And the, and the right knows this and they're giving people the location to take action and the expression to take action. And it's a mess and it comes across as being completely chaotic. And um, and also through that complete chaos, you're getting scenes of like fucking guys in in hot tubs and saunas and fucking like all of these kinds of images that are not violent that are like oh wow they're actually settling in to fucking like have a good time right which is i mean that's an interesting tactic that they're taking but it is something that i think the left should be thinking about right like how how often do we try to give ourselves a good time <laughs> in our actions um and of course there are some situations where that um is is a is a priority but probably not often enough but one of the things that has been very clear is that there's there's a lot of folks that I think feel like they are entitled to decide what happens. Uh, how do we respond? What's the correct response? And I think that's a very fascinating um, impact, I would say, of the atrophy of the left, that there are so few people <laughs> really engaged in the left that people do feel like they are the ones to say yes or to say no uh, to certain actions. And I'm very critical of that because I think that in a moment like this, I mean, no one has to agree with everything like, you know, fucking giver. Right. Like Quebec City had this massive, massive, massive rally. Did we have a counter protest? No. Were there discussions about having a counter protest? Yes. Why didn't we have a counter protest? Well, the group, this the, the one group I'm involved in and I'm not involved with all the groups. Right. So I don't know what other conversations people were having, but we just couldn't get it together. Like that was all it was, was we were like, did we do this? We don't know. What about this? What about the Emergencies Act? What impact is that going to have on our fucking actions? Maybe nothing. OK, well, who cares? We're going to do it anyway. But then I was like, ooh, what if they're fucking too big? Oh, uh, lost the fu- lost the, the thread and, and nothing was organized. Had someone come out and done something completely different or whatever, I would be like, fuck, yes. Like that is fucking nice. That's great. But there's a lot I don't know if I like I mean, we use a lot of buzzwords like gatekeeping and and gaslighting and all this stuff. And so I don't really want to fall to like saying this is gatekeeping because I don't think it's necessarily gatekeeping. I think it's just how people are used to operating in the last decade because because things have atrophied and there's so few people doing so much of the work. And like, God bless them. Like you folks are doing the heavy lifting. It's really, really good and really important. But, but you're also not you, me, us. We are not responsible for everybody either. And if people want to do actions in the name of the left, I mean, fucking give her like whatever. You know, you don't you don't have to preemptively denounce a confrontation, which I know did happen in Toronto this past weekend, which is very, very strange. And I know, Sandy, you've got opinions on that. And I think that when when we're looking at how we're responding to the stuff, if people are like burnt out and stressed out and feeling like they can't do it and feeling like they can't do the kind of work that they've always been used to be doing being done like they're the ones that do the work normally and and now are like oh my god I just can't do it 
no one's saying that you have to keep being the one to do all the work. Like, you know, if someone says, hey, this should happen in Ottawa, it's not saying you person who always does these things, you personally need to be there. That's literally not what people are saying. And um, and also it's an expression of like, you know, of 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 just general. Oh, my God, look at where we're at right now. Look at where the left is right now. Like, it's not good. And so there is going to be a lot of people going, oh, my God, this should happen and this should happen and this should happen. And people should be able to do that. You know, um, I feel like there's a lot of folks that in, in Ottawa feel like the Emergencies Act is kind of like theirs. I, I did see someone that said, you don't have a right to have an opinion on this stuff unless you've lived experience with a convoy, which is like, I'm sorry, what the fuck is lived experience with a convoy? Like, no, that's not how this works. We Everybody has the right to participate in these kinds of discussions and these debates. This is the kind of debate that Sandy and I have been talking about for so long that we need. How do you respond to the far right is the biggest debate that is facing us right now. And it's a debate. There's going to be people that disagree with one another, obviously, because we don't no one has the answer. And so one of the things I do hope that we can figure out how to do going forward is is holding that kind of location to have these debates uh, in a way that actually pushes us forward rather than kind of makes everybody hate each other. And I mean, and then doing this online is actually really, really fraught because it's very hard to have these kinds of constructive discussions online. A lot of this reminds me of our episode not too long ago on critiquing critique and how demobilizing it is. It's like if 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 someone says, you know, we need to have some sort of response and then someone else says um, uh, that is dangerous because the Emergencies Act has been implemented. And as a result, we don't know how that's going to impact people. So what you are proposing is dangerous. The conversation does not have to end there. It does not have to end there. There doesn't have to be a, aha, so I have been trumped by this person who has pointed out something that I didn't see, this, uh, this a potential for a safety issue, and as a result, I quit. And uh, it doesn't have to be that the other person who's pointing out a safety issue is saying, as a result of this safety issue that I'm pointing out, you should not do anything. That doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be collapsed into these binaries. It also reminds me of the episode we did on binary thinking. It doesn't have to be collapsed into these binary options. The conversation could go, we need to do something. <laughs> the Emergencies Act, ha uh, somebody says we need to do something, someone else responds, the Emergencies Act has been implemented, that may make us unsafe. And the other person can respond with, well, what does the Emergencies Act give them the power to do? And how can we mitigate that while still responding to fascism, while still responding in such a way that makes these people who are doing these protests the ones who feel demobilized? <laughs> because that is who we should be focused on demobilizing, not one another. Demobilizing one another means that we lose because we only win in our collectivity and in our strength in numbers. That's the only way we win anything. It's the only way we win anything as oppressed people or people who are trying to overcome some form of state power or repression or bad situation, which is what this whole pandemic has been, right? Like the, the government has not responded appropriately in so many different ways. And if we want to overcome those things, or if we want to mm -hmm. overcome white supremacist organizing, we must respond with collectivity. We must respond with our strength in numbers and 
We have to be able to have those kinds of conversations that doesn't make us afraid to move forward even in the absence of knowing exactly what is right because nobody knows exactly what is right (laughs) because if we did, we would have fucking done it. And if somebody says like, look, even if somebody is saying, look, my lived experience as a racialized person, as a black person, as a person who um, has a disability, as someone who uh, you know lives in the in the downtown core and has been confronted by these people, leads me to believe that I have a particular safety issue, or leads me to know that I have a particular safety issue. The response can be, "Thank you for raising that." How do we mitigate that in the best way possible? Or how do we ensure that you can participate in a protest of a kind if it is not this particular one because this type of organizing is not safe for you? Or, 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 or. How can we be more creative about the way that we protest to ensure that there is safety in some way? Or how do we uh, uh, allow folks to choose what level of risk they're able to take. Because, I mean, that's the other thing. If some people want to take a risk, as they did, you know, for so many uh, giant, famous resistances of our past, whether it's, you know, the, the summit of the Americas, whether it's shutting down pipelines, whether it's shutting down highways across Canada, whether it's Uh, the G20, whether it's the Tamil protests, whether it's the no one is illegal border protests, whether it's even Occupy, like all of these different protests, people were taking different levels of risk and they were making those decisions for themselves. This time period is no different. There should, where we have come to today, where we're not able to have those debates and exist in a way where we can decide decide like yes we're going to have this risky protest because it is worth the risk to fight fascism it is worth the risk to fight white supremacy and some of us are able to take that risk because of where we are in our lives and some of us are not but we can perhaps support those who are taking the risk in this way or we can support protest in another way in in this other way but it doesn't have to end the conversation does not have to end at i have noticed a flaw in your plan it is a critique you must end it and then the other person says cool it is over we shall watch white supremacy rise and fascism reign free over our whole lives well, and the folks in Ottawa, I mean, there was a group of citizens that that really did demonstrate um, that strength in numbers. And I want to give a shout out to Sam Hirsch, who um, was uh, had a very um, awesome and important thread today after speaking this morning on uh, on CBC television about how the the collectivity that people engaged in to shut down uh, Billings Bridge in Ottawa and 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 refuse to allow access. Um, and, you know, it started with a couple dozen people, and then people heard about it and then streamed into the streets and and had this incredible action. Like that's what it takes. And I think that the folks who were there, you know, very much understand that. Like that's that's absolutely what it takes. Um, and I think that the clash in 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 what like has to happen next is in conceptualizing a reaction that doesn't rely on the state. Because, you know, 
I've, I've been doing research for something and I came across a, a, a book about Canadian identity and, and the authors characterize Canadian identity as being um, like just this love affair with the Canadian state. Like we just want the state to do everything for us. And I think that that fidelity to the state is why so many people who otherwise were like, yeah, defund the police are like, oh, no, we, we, we actually need the police right now to do their jobs or we need the police to save us from this fucking nightmare. And it's like, okay, um, so that is a a position that legitimizes the state. And the Canadian state is not legitimate. There is no progressive fucking orientation that can that can mutate the Canadian state into being something that is legitimate. I mean, I mean, people fucking try (laughs) and you're wrong. (laughs) Sorry. But the Canadian state is not legitimate. So so how do you like fight fascism in a in a country where uh, like it's built on white supremacy, where fascist uh, thinking is woven throughout how Canada operates um, very, very quietly. Right. Isn't like open fascism, of course. And you then also have this rising fascist moment at a time where like the traditional parties in Canada are falling by the wayside. Like how the fuck are we supposed to navigate all of this without also then saying, okay, Nora, that's all fine and good. You're being very theoretical about this, but how do you get this fucking truck off of my street right now? And I think that if you remove the conversation, if you remove the state from the conversation and you bring people together, you come up with this solution to that. And that solution might be a bit dangerous or very dangerous. It might be risky. It might not be risky. It might actually be like, you know, just enough people to make it uncomfortable for these people and they're forced to leave. Because at the end of the day, these people are also humans, right? People don't like to be made uncomfortable. And that is, but that's really hard work. And it's a lot harder than saying, well, you know what? I I normally wouldn't agree with the Emergencies Act, but I think that we're at a situation now where it's really the only option, which is unfortunately, I think the default reaction to a lot of people to the Emergencies Act, whether or not they're in Ottawa. I mean, I've seen this from people all across Canada. And, you know, I was, I was talking to someone the other day who's from France and, um, and she was saying like, sorry, so did Canada just declare martial law? And I was like, well, I mean, our version of mar- martial law, yes. <laughs> like, oh, the, the charter still applies, like as if that fucking matters because charter rights are violated all the time. And oh, there's gonna be a public inquiry as if that fucking matters because like big deal, like we'll find out in three years what the fuck happened. Okay, that seems like a long time to wait. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's it's the nuclear option in the Canadian law. And she was like, and Canadians accept this? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's a great question. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, I I think also that there's a way that there's a bit of, like, despair and fear in that people just don't know what to do. Um, and, you know, confrontation can be scary. So, I, you know, I get that. Uh, but I, I want people to know, if you've not protested before, or if that's not something that you're used to, or perhaps you've done it a long time ago and um, you you haven't done it at any point recently. There is something about taking control over a situation that assists with that feeling of despair and fear. Like there is something about going out there with uh, a with your strength in numbers, with the the collectivity, with the people that you are struggling with, that allows you to see or that shows you that you do have power over the situation um, that is currently impacting your life with the other people 
that you were going out there with, like the, this like kind of collectivity, um, going out to fight in collectivity, in conjunction with other people, um, whether it's like a protest that is directly confrontational or some other creative form of resistance, it does give you some power back. And I think that there is, in just listening, reading, watching the response from people who are frustrated, there's like this kind of frustration of not knowing what to do, which, as you said, Nora, um, you know, is uh, leading people to this default of the state has to do something. We can do something. And even if you don't know what that is, that is an okay place to start. It's an okay place to start to be unsure of what it is. So long as we are talking to one another about doing something and making the commitment to actually do something, that is a critical point from which to start and a critical piece of living together in a way that is protective of one another. And that in and of itself is a discussion of safety. That in and of itself is a discussion of how we protect one another. Because the broader issue of all of this is that yes, this is going to get violent. It has gotten violent. It will lead to more violence. And if we don't attack that now, and we should have been attacking it this entire time, if we don't confront that, if we don't resist that in a way now, it is going to get worse. We are dependent on one another to resist this. No one else is going to, like the government is not going to resist this for us. The government is going to make it worse. They have poured, as Nora said, gasoline on white supremacist organizing in this country. And so who are we going to depend on to resist this but one another? There's no one else out there. We have to be willing to talk to one another and to strategize with one another multiple different sites of resistance, multiple ways of resisting, and to be okay with critique that continues to lead to action and be committed to critique that does not mobile, demobilize, but in fact mobilizes us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we have to talk a little bit about where this is heading, like what's coming next, because I think that, you know, this has been a fever pitch situation for three weeks. It cannot stay at this level for much longer. I mean, that's just kind of the way that the world works. It will die down. Um, And one of the things I think that is very difficult for a lot of uh, people to wrap their heads around is that a lot of the organizing for these for these for this convoy or for these groups is happening in communities where there's just not much of a left wing presence. And so being able to even fight these groups in their kind of like on their home turf. And I mean, like, you know, I don't mean fucking literally fighting them, but I mean, like struggling against them and debating them and, 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 and trying to pick off people that might be a little less sympathetic and working with them and all this kind of stuff, like just like the day to day grind of actually of actually organizing. Um, a lot of us are just not located in places where that's possible. But I mean, first of all, if you haven't looked up uh, on this list of the of the leaked documents, like who lives in your neighborhood or who lives where you grew up, you can organize it by postal code. You can check it out and it gives you already a good idea of who is near you. Um, And so then it's like so I mean, we have everybody's postal code. So it would like 
do you organize a flyer drop to be like someone in this neighborhood is donated to the truck convoy and here is why yes we should hate trudeau but this is why we should not hate trudeau in a fascist way (laughs) or white supremacist way you know what i mean like take the message back from these fucking people we have their information (laughs) like we couldn't have been given a better gift um and there's ways to use it that's actually proactive and that will um help us map out where these locations are and then how do we start um, how do we start isolating them or how do we interact with them? Right. There's there were there were like religious organizations that were funding people 24 seven in the middle of Ottawa. Um, and those are mostly Christian organizations. So people who are are committed Christians, like what are you doing within your church to actually fight against this kind of stuff? Um, because there's a lot of debate that needs to happen within the within Christianity among denominations to figure out how to root out extremism in the name of Jesus. I mean, like fucking frankly, that has to that has to happen. And I know we have a lot of listeners who are active and committed Christians. And so I think that that's really important for people to think of. And it's not just Christianity. I mean, extremism exists in in other kinds of locations, too, not just even religious locations. Um, and so wherever we're like, you know, in sports fucking situations or on the work on the work site at the job. I mean, these are all really important locations of struggle. Um, and to then remember that, like, when they all go home, they're all going to have organizing that's going to go back to being under ground that's going to be back to being quiet that can be actually activated in a moment's notice in a way that we just have not built on the left in Canada and once that is activated it's like anyone's guess what will happen and that is I think for me my biggest worry is this raging fucking forest fire of shit once they get activated again to do the next thing what does that look like yeah the other thing that needs to happen is people need to organize around, on the left, the restrictions. Uh, Like, people should be organized around how the government has failed us in this pandemic. We have to. The, The political risk and failure of failing to do that, I think, is really clear right now. People who are on the left or even politically neutral who would normally scoff and turn away from white supremacist organizing or would never show up to a place where there are um, uh, other people around them, surrounding them, who are clearly white supremacists, don't have any other place, again, to put their, uh, to put their frustrations. But those frustrations are well-founded. And so at what point um, will we on the left organize that? Like, who is organizing that? Who should be organizing that? I really do think that unions have a big piece to play here. And uh, in addition, uh, when we're talking about things like resources, like you're naming, Nora, like in all of these resources that people are getting on, on uh, uh, who are supporting uh, the convoy, like, why is it that left-wing struggles struggle to get that level of resourcing when that resource... that sort of resourcing could exist on the left. Why is it the case that we have trouble with that? What organizations are not, are refusing to support um, Indigenous-led organizing? What organizations are refusing to support Black-led organizing? Or any sort of organizing that is attempting to support um, working people, repressed people, subjugated people in in these systems? These are things that we need to interrogate and organize around so that we have some sort of response when these things come up, but also 
so that we have some sort of plan to again deal with the creeping success of white supremacist and fascist organizing in this country.